as family by receiving one another in Christ's love that we may develop authentic relationships by believing the best, granting forgiveness, resolving conflicts, prophesying destinies, and championing one another. I love that championing part. I didn't come up with that. We had a team of five of us that spent five months working on all these core values and putting them together in some new verbiage. And I don't remember, but one of the team came up with that. And as soon as they said it, i like, oh, I love that. I love it. And the whole team thought, man, we got to put that one on there. Um, two weeks ago, Banji introduced this core value to us. And by the way, if you didn't get the message two weeks ago or see it, you need to see it. Banji uh, just did a, a, a dynamic job of presenting the value, but just teaching the word, teaching the scriptures. And uh, it's very dynamic because she gave an overview, spiritual family and weaving into the natural family because all of us are within, all natural families were designed by God to be within the overall spiritual community. And then last Sunday, Jordan uh, <clears throat> shared and, and taught along about the freedom in God's mind, his inclusion and identity, how that all people have been created in his image and likeness. And uh, Jordan just gave us some further insight and in how we're privileged to be joint heirs with Jesus as we are family. We all have full access uh, to our inheritance as does every person. And Jordan also talked about this whole thing of growing his family, how important it is to be a participant in a congregation. And he shared a bit of his life last week. If you didn't see it, you got to see it. You'll love it um, if you didn't check it. Go to our YouTube channel. You say, well, how do I get there? Well, just go to our website and then go to media and then you can see uh, videos of all the, all the recordings. But it was absolutely excellent, and uh, so much appreciated Vanjie's introduction and Jordan's uh, follow-up last week. So this is part three. Um, I want to read a quote by a pastor uh, named Joseph Beach. He wrote the book Ordinary Church. And this is a quote. To be a Christian is to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to be in the body of Christ. To be in the body of Christ is to be in an actual ordinary church family. End of quote. In that little short statement, he spoke volumes of biblical truth and reality. Powerful. Did you know that in reality, there's no salvation outside the church? Oh, no, we're not getting religious here because think of it this way, of this biblical truth, because Christ's church is his body. You can't have salvation outside of Christ, right? The church is not an expression of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is his body. You can't have salvation. You can't, if you have salvation outside of his body, then it's going to be outside of Christ. How many of you know his head and body are all connected and they all kind of like work together? If you desire to participate with Christ, you participate with his body. Can you imagine me saying, well, Jason... 
I want to participate with your head, but no handshakes, please. No brotherly hugs. No conversations over breakfast. I'm just going to, you know, I just want to connect just with your head. I mean, that's a bad case of stupid, isn't it? The thinking. So when you participate with Christ, you actually participate with his body or else you're not participating with Christ. That's interesting food for thought. Shall we just go home right now and think on that one for a little while? Jesus actually emphasizes in his teachings that the church is more, of course, than a voluntary association or religious organization. The church is, his church is a living organism. It's really his body. We find our life in Christ's church because we find Jesus in the church because it is his body. I'm going to wrap up in this core value today. That was just kind of the broader thing. I want to come down to some of the specifics that we read. And we're going to touch on some of the points. And that has to do with the characteristics of authentic relationships in a congregation. Genuine connections. No facades. Just genuine connections with being real, ordinary people. Here was the first one. We read it a few minutes ago. I want to touch on it for a few minutes. Believing the best of one another. Believing the best. Well, it's a little hard to believe the best when you see all of the weaknesses of one another and the flaws. Well, the, the, the main point is, in spite of the flaws, which are obvious, we all have them. We all have unique, peculiar traits about us. But a Christ-centered orientation always leads us to believing the best. So when I'm not believing the best, it's a reminder that I need to be drawn by his love and his life and come into focus so I can actually believe the best. Even in spite of the worst displays. How many of you know that's challenging, right? Yep. It really is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Isn't that amazing? All of us are created within the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were actually chosen even before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1 tells us. And we were chosen and loved even before we were born. And became a human being. That's pretty important, isn't it? So when I see every person on the earth as a created loved one of God, I want to protect them because they are made in the image and likeness of Christ. And they are so valuable to Christ. And when I protect them as a person, and when I... I do that by my honor and by believing the best, I am showing honor to Christ. Because Jesus said, whatever you do to other people, you're doing to me. 
good or bad. I'm going to read this last part in another version. In the Amplified Version, I'm going to go to verse 6. Love does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevails. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Anytime we're feeling something other than honor and love for another person, it just means we're a good candidate for the amazing grace of God. No condemnation to those, to any of us. It just means we're still in process. It just means we have a whole lot of growing yet to do. And we will all of our lives. Hopefully, we can look back a year ago, two, three years ago, and go, wow, I used to react in this way to this circumstances or that kind of behavior, and I'm responding differently. Wow, I must be growing up. And whatever areas right now, the things that trigger you now or those individuals that trigger you, push those buttons. You know what? It can be different a year from now as we choose to humble ourselves and recognize that part of the growth process of learning down to lay or learning to lay down my rights, my hurts, my opinions. Part of maturity as I learn to, I have to work through that stuff. I'd rather hang on to stuff, the wrongs and, and the things that aren't right. I, I, I learn how just to submit to Christ and allow his healing, allow his heart and his love to wash over me. I've never met a human being that has never felt hurt by a parent. Never. I've never met a human being that hasn't felt hurt by a sibling if they have siblings. I've never met a human being on the earth yet that's never felt hurt by a friend. And I've met a whole lot of human beings who have felt hurt by church leaders. Guess what? We're all humans. Sometimes we hurt people so unintentionally. How many of you found at one point in your life or another that somebody got hurt by you and you were shocked? Raise your hand. It's not happened to anybody else? Okay. And you were like, uh, you, 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 you what? You felt hurt by, and you're like, you're trying to get your head around it and you're trying to remember the situation and they're recounting it for you and you're like, oh my goodness, I, well, that went way different than I thought. Oh my goodness. Because it's not the intention. Rarely, rarely in life is it someone's intention to bring hurt or woundedness to another person. We're all in process. And sometimes we do and we, our behavior and our manner of speech and such brings hurts to other people. It's not because we intend to. At least I hope not. I recognize that sometimes that may be the case, but 
for the most part, that's not the way it works usually. Yeah. Well, we have to live with this reality of hurts and fences that will happen. Take joy in knowing you might get one this week. I'm not speaking that prophetically over you, but, you know, stuff happens. And somebody else's actions or what somebody says may cause an ouch. Maybe a big one, maybe a little one. This week, next week. Dwayne Cole. Dwayne's in the room over here. Dwayne preached a message here about 25 years ago, maybe a little longer. I'll never forget his message. I think it was about 30 years ago, actually. He said 30. He, he gave me the nod. The sin of taking offense. I remember when he got up to the pulpit. This is our old facility, of course, not here. We've only been here, what, 12 years now? But um, he, he got up and said, well, today I'm going to bring you a message. And the title is The Sin of Taking Offense. At first, I was just a little like, oh, that's interesting. And then he got into it, and I'm like, oh, brother, go. I've never forgotten it. And the essence of it was this, is that when we feel a hurt, we can take the bait of Satan and start nursing and rehearsing. Now we've engaged in the scheme of the evil one to suck us right in, nursing our hurt and rehearsing it. Let me ask you, now, you guys are so authentic and honest. Have you ever done that? Only 50% of us. The rest of you are so amazing. We can nurse and rehearse it for minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. I've seen people nurse and rehearse offenses all of their life. And then at the last few breaths on the deathbed, try to make amends. And that's a beautiful thing. But how sad to carry things for years and years. How sad that we would carry things for months. And as we grow and learn the ways of God, we, we, we become more equipped and better able to respond to the hurts, and to the wounds that, in fact, are very real in our lives. And when we nurse and rehearse them, they become fortresses that the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. Strongholds in our lives. And they rob us of the energy and the flow of life within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every day we leave it unresolved, we are dying spiritually. That's why Romans 8 says to be carnally minded is death. In other words, to be carnally minded is not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritually begins to rob us of the life of the Holy Spirit. Carnally minded is when I'm focused on self. Poor me, my hurts, my wounds, etc., etc. Now, the reality is we're going to get hurt. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with this because we feel hurt or we feel pain. Or because we have to wrestle with it. But when we choose to nurse and rehearse on and on and on and on, actually recognize this, that we've taken the bait of Satan, and now we are in a death spiral. Down, down we start going. And then, you know, instead of goodness and mercy following us, we start feeling a trail of others' junk in our life, see? Here's the good news. We don't need to do that. 
But you know what? We're all in process and we're learning these things. And so <clears throat> none of us should ever feel condemned if we get snared in that. We just recognize, wow, I have a whole lot of opportunity to grow in my life. So the first thing I wanted to talk about today is believing the best in developing authentic relationship. Number two, be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, if he says do not grieve the Holy Spirit, we probably want to take a look at what may possibly grieve the Holy Spirit, right? And that's what I love about the scriptures. It makes things so clear. And then he says, 31, get rid of whatever grieves the Holy Spirit, right? Get rid of bitterness. That comes from nursing and rehearsing the hurt. It's just not right. I still can't get over this, what she said. Just wasn't right. She was so insensitive. She may have been. Bummer. Sorry. It happens. It just happens. It's just total bummer. I mean, you can have the greatest day until somebody says something, and by what they said or the manner in which they said it, it's just like, ouch. Really hurts. Be upsetting. Feel insulted. But Paul says, get rid of all this stuff because it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, anybody that's been around the Christian faith for any length of time all believes in forgiveness. And you know what I love that I've seen on television the last number of years? I've listened to medical doctors and psychologists who do not identify with Christ talk about the power of forgiveness. It's amazing. It's really caught hold. Counselors in the profession, uh, in, in, in counseling profession such, who wouldn't identify with Christ and say, well, yes, I'm a Christian and whatever, but they recognize the power of letting go. And they actually use the term forgiveness, the power to forgive. Don't you love that? Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. So if I have to forgive another, that simply means that I've taken some offenses and some hurts, right? I'm taking some hits. So now it's my opportunity to keep myself in the love of Christ rather than allowing the bait of the enemy to take and pull me away into a bitter state. But rather, i got to keep myself. I can't do that for you. No one else can do that for you. No one can do it for me. I have to keep myself in the life and the love of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself, Jude, uh, the book of Jude speaks that. Keep yourself in the love of God. And if I keep, I can keep myself rather than following the bait of Satan and taking on the offense needlessly, 
I will find the grace to forgive. Isn't that beautiful when that happens? It's absolutely beautiful. I can think of many times that I've been in that scenario. Feel just like, bam. I can't believe what just happened. That hurt so deep. Felt so insulted. Felt so dishonored, so devalued. And then I could find that grace of God. It's a part of growth in life. And it's what we teach our children. And we don't teach them just to comply with certain Christian responsibilities. But what we actually want to do is teach them how to pause, acknowledge the fact of the hurt, the pain, acknowledge the fact that this is really real. This really hurts, honey. I know it does. And not be in their face, all right, now you need to forgive now. You need to forgive. They need to process a little bit, okay? Listening. We listen to them as they're processing. We dally little kids. How about teenagers? How about adolescents? Particularly that adolescent stage. It seems like most of us, when we went through that stage, are, are the most sensitive. Because we're trying to figure out who we are. And so anything that doesn't feel affirming, we get crushed. It can be by a parent. It can be by a sibling, it can be by a school teacher, it can be by somebody else, you know. So we allow people to process, but then what we need to do is just come back and very gently. I'm not talking about getting religious, say, well, now you know what the Bible says, boy. You just need to forgive and do the old lecture, the religious lecture. But being very gentle to bring a child back to that grace and praying over they feel the Holy Spirit so that it's from within by the Holy Spirit and it's not just speaking words. Okay, I forgive Johnny now. But rather where they feel compelled by you within. Well, Paul gives us some insight about forgiveness. And uh, <clears throat> did you notice he didn't say, Paul didn't say forgive when that other person comes to their senses and comes and seeks forgiveness. How many of you like to see more of that? <laughs> How many of you thought, sure, when somebody really, you felt hurt by somebody and you, you thought that they cared enough to at least come back and ask your forgiveness, but they never showed up? How many of you ever been disappointed by something like that, Right? like maybe your husband or your wife, uh, maybe a child, maybe a parent, you know, whatever. And you're always kind of hoping that person will own it, take some responsibility, initiate. Actually, Paul didn't say here, when they come back to seek forgiveness, now you kindly forgive. That's really a whole lot easier, but a lot of times it doesn't work that way. So now I'm left all by myself. And here I am with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in my life. And now I need to find the grace to forgive, even though they may never, ever realize or recognize or seek forgiveness. Isn't that interesting? It is so quiet today. 
But you can. We can. And I know you do. We all learned this. Wow. Feeling a victim, feeling like you're a victim of other people's words and actions are a very real thing. We all know what it's like. Like an arrow to the heart. But we don't want to take and, and, and uh, take on the offense. As, as Dwayne taught that powerful message some years ago, and take on that offense. And now you take ownership of the offense. No, you understand the offense is poison. Don't take ownership of it. Don't take ownership. Don't, don't handle that. You may feel offended, but, but don't take the arrow now and just keep holding it in your heart and move it around some more. Because every time we rehearse it, it's like this arrow into the heart. And we move it around, and every time we rehearse it, one more time of what happened, and she said this, and he said that, and he did this, and he didn't do that, and I feel so hurt, and I'm so crushed by it. And every time you rehearse it, it's like taking that arrow and just, I mean, boring you right out on the inside. Bad, man, it'll take you down. Take you down. Let's go to number three. How to develop authentic relationships, resolving conflicts. Resolve conflicts. Um, this is related, but not necessarily. Sometimes there can be conflicts in relationships without there being offenses, okay? Now, certainly offenses and hurts and wounds result in conflict. Most often if we don't know how to, how to forgive, if we haven't found that place where we can quickly forgive, it will turn into conflict, we feel conflicted, even in the presence of another person uh, by whom we feel hurt, have, have been hurt. Um, so conflicts are inevitable in relationships. And uh, sometimes it can just start just simply on the basis of having a different perspective about a matter. And, and you can feel conflicted because something of your value system and of how you think and your perception in life or about a matter, and when that is in sharp contrast or even partially in contrast to what somebody else sees, you can feel conflicted. And when we feel conflicted inside any party, the other party feels it, and, and now we have a kind of a sort of conflict. Then sometimes it can have to do with just simply, you know, what one person did. It wasn't necessarily a personal hurt, but it's like, what are you thinking? And you have just a very different perspective on how something should have been handled. Boy, that can happen in parenting big time. It can happen to do, have, it can happen in the workplace. It can happen among, amongst friends. And so you have relational conflict. You say, well, it ought to be easy. Let's just all quit. Let's just always get along, just happy and healthy. And Well, you know, one of the ways that we can grow is through conflict. Conflict doesn't have to be bad. It's how we respond to conflict. <sighs> I remember when I was a kid in high school area and early adult, man, I did kind of like dreaded any kind of conflict. I dreaded it. Because I saw that as just nothing but bad. I loved to dodge it and, and, and avoid it as much as possible. But as I grew and as I matured more and inside and got a more healthy picture and perspective, I began to realize that life inevitably will have conflicts. Now, in part, 
because of the distinct, beautiful difference between fellow human beings. The challenge is, is that the perspective of another person and the actions of another person doesn't always look beautiful to me in the moment. It seems like it's actually wild, crazy, demented, deranged, or you see milder terms. There's differences. But you feel conflicts, eh? Conflict can be a wonderful agent for growth. How about for starters? We expand our brain. Our brains were given to learn how to think. And if we always think the same thing and the same matter in the same way, we are not growing. We need to hear very different perspectives on everything from theology to who we think God is to Jesus himself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. should never be afraid of the differences, but rather say, oh, that's an interesting perspective. Even at first it may strike you as like really crazy or like, oh, I mean, and it may be almost offensive because you've just shared your perspective. Now somebody comes and it feels like a rebuttal. It could even almost feel like an insult that they didn't value and maybe they did it in a dishonorable way. And now you feel this relational t- tension. Guess what? We can grow with that. We should welcome differences. Because uh, differences, it's the differences from which the conflicts arise. Now, I realize there's manners of speech and the, that kind of tie into what we already talked about where there's offenses. But they're going to happen. Guess what? Conflicts will arise in church families. And they arise over cultural distinctives. They arise sometimes over theological perspectives, styles of worship. You'd be amazed how many churches have wound up in conflict, have gone, people have gone separate ways over the style of worship. And there, and, and there, there, there would be some. And you've got to understand, in my background, we only sang a cappella. And to think of having pianos, guitars, and drums, and the full band was like, oh no, God's departed. I, I, I'm kidding you not. Some felt that way. I never did. I was one of the very first ones in my background to break into using a musical instrument, play the guitar in a public assembly in a Christian school and had to go before the school board to get approval for Galen to play a guitar on one song. And it really wasn't so much a sin, but it was because a culture is a cappella and we got to keep our culture pure from instrumentation. And some of you are like, weird. I'm just telling you it's part of my story. You have some of that in your story too probably. It just looks differently, right? So churches, we have conflict. You know, stuff's going to happen. And sometimes with that comes feelings of maybe hopelessness, and I don't know where I fit. It just doesn't feel right. Be feelings of anger, feelings of offense, feelings of rejection. But resolving conflicts is an important way to building authentic relationships. And so <clears throat> suffice it to say, conflict can be a good thing. Here's what I've learned, though. Sometimes people have a heart of humility that want to resolve conflicts but lack the skill. Boy, I've been there. 
my heart has always been, something I've always carried in my heart, never one to grow resentments and unforgiveness, but I, but I would lack the courage to take initiative to resolve conflicts as a young guy, so because I didn't have any skills. Or I lack skills, let's put it that way. I lack the skills, and I was afraid I'd mess it up, so I would just try to avoid the situation. And then I would, because I didn't know what to do once I, if I initiated. How do I even initiate? What if things go differently than what I hoped? What do I do with that? And so there's no formula, but there are principles of how we can approach one another in times of conflict. Now, we're different personalities, so we all respond differently. But once again, there are basic principles of that, and it's probably one of my greatest joys in, in all my years of, of ministry is coaching people on how to approach. If they're at a loggerheads as a husband and wife, okay, let me give you some possible ways here that you may approach a situation in an honorable way to share your heart and hopefully evoke a, re, a positive response, okay? So there's things that we can learn. Now and then I bump into a person that has this huge giant on the inside of him. It's called the be right giant. I'm right. If there's going to be a resolve, it's about he's seeing it my way. Because I'm right. I even have two Bible verses to back me up. <laughs> I haven't met too many people. But I have met some. Trust me. I have met people that have this giant is so big, it literally consumes their lives. And I've never seen it turn out well. Causes family problems, et cetera, et cetera. How do you resolve conflict? Exercise humility and forgive that felt offense right off the get-go. You can solve a lot of it right there. Express to the other person your desire to grow in friendship. At some point, ask permission to engage in a conversation, to chat about a matter of interest and concern that you have. Commit to listening to the other person's perspective with the intent to understand them and not give rebuttal. When you go into it, you say, I really sincerely, God, I want to understand their heart. I want to understand their thinking because I need to grow in my life. I need to have more of an awareness of myself, of the other person because I value them. And so I listen with the intent to understand. Not while you're listening, you are plotting out your rebuttal. Now, what you hope in that situation is that the person who shares the thing, that they would be open to at least hearing your heart because, you know, in the conflict, because you hope it's going to be two-way. But it doesn't always work that way. So what you want to do is just you carefully listen, and then you take responsibility for whatever uh, may be your part in the conflict. And so <clears throat> seek to retain that uh, friendship. All right, a couple more prophesying destinies. Uh, we are children together in Christ, and we have the ability to know the hearts. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, the scripture, I'm not even going to read it, but it talks about the gift of prophecy that to, to be able to comfort, to exhort, to cheer up, and, and such. And every one of us, because of the life of Christ within us, can speak prophetically encouraging words to one another and to other, any person. We have that ability, and it's not just something out of our heads. 
And so we can do that in very natural, ordinary ways. This is really important uh, to speak words of life and blessing. Uh, number five, championing one another. I'm going to read this scripture, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to wrap it up here. Let me find my place. Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of other people. Well, championing one another is just growing in awareness of the value of other people. And that is really easy to do with some people. If we're all really going to be honest with ourselves, I, I think I can say this with with a strong degree of confidence. There are certain people in our lives that it can be more challenging to champion. Maybe because of their past behavior. Maybe because of an offense that you have felt from them. Maybe because you know that their value system is very different than yours. Maybe because they don't even value the person of Christ Jesus that's so important to your life. They may be of another religious persuasion. They may be of no persuasion religiously and don't even believe in a God. On and on and on and on. It can have to do with a certain arena of life of which you have such differences. How do you champion that person? Because you may see some flaws. You may see some actually wrong behavior. Maybe even tainted by evil. The Bible does talk about that while, while that we have the likeness of, of Christ in us by having created his image and likeness, we can take on evil characteristics in our lives. It's not who we are at the core. We're children of God. But we can take on evil characteristics and thinking that is contrary to the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in which we dwell. How do you champion another person. Well, let me just say this real quickly. What do you do is, number one is, you simply value them that there's a, they're a fellow created human being and have huge, intrinsic, God-given value. Wow, you can start from there, see? How do you do that in a congregation? Now, in a congregation, we didn't all necessarily choose one another. One of us showed up, and there's these, all these other people, some that think differently, look differently, have different perspectives. Um, the, from this subject to another, it could be on social matters, it could be on political matters. And what you never want to be is a part of a group where everybody thinks like you. That's religion. Religion always seeks to try to find everyone else around to conform exactly to their belief system and their thinking. That's religion. It's not the way of Christ. Not the way of Jesus Christ. 
The way of Christ is to embrace other people. Hold dear to your personal beliefs in Christ and the things that are so important to you in your relationship with God. By all means. But our mission should never be is to try to get everybody else to conform to my likeness. A healthy church has people with a lot of different perspectives. Just saying. Yeah, but what about this? What about this issue? What about that issue? Just chill. Just let another person, they're on a spiritual journey as you are and I am. We're all in a spiritual journey. We're seeking to know Christ more fully. And can't we trust the Holy Spirit just as we hope he's leading and guiding us? Cannot we trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide other people around us, even though we may be miles apart? Our fellowship is based upon the person of Christ and his life, not in just my belief system of whether it aligns with yours or not. That's old, stinking religion. Well, I can only fellowship people who believe like this on this and that and the other. Well, if they don't believe exactly like this on their eschatology, well, then I can't even, I can't, I can't even have coffee with them. We have a variety of perspectives here in this house. I love it. It should be never something that we fight and, 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 and have division over. We can champion one another for who you are. doesn't mean you have to take on the belief of everybody else. You can't do that in this world. There's so many opinions and perspectives. But we can, from Christ's love, show honor and say, go, my friend, go for it. On your journey through life of discovering of who God is more fully. And that we can all agree upon, right? Let's stand up. So, God, I thank you so much for your life and for your love. Thank you for allowing us just to grow together this day. I have absolute confidence that in our time of worship that the Holy Spirit was just speaking to us, encouraging us, and shaping our perspectives. And I've got confidence that even as we've looked at the scriptures and this talk about growing his family, that your, your presence, your spirit is touching our hearts, bringing some things to our attention that need to be adjusted. And perhaps affirming us in so many ways as well. Because we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey that wanting to know you more fully and clearly so that we can better represent you, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Everybody said amen.